What's up, everybody? This is Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we make to seek, or I'm sorry, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation, all of life. And this is an exciting time. We're actually going to talk about church government, elders, some church polity stuff. Yeah, wow. Who talks about that? Well, us Presbyterians like to do that, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. So with me, we I have my pastor, uh, Jonathan Hunt, with us. He's the pastor of Armor Bible Church in Orchard Park, New York. And we have Tyler Jackson, another uh, pastor down in Indiana. I'll let him give some more bio of his church. And one of the elders, I believe, is Sam with us as well. Sam is here. And then so we're going to do a little um, kind of a little bio of kind of the different stories regarding these men here and and kind of share a little bit about the backstories of themselves and then backstories of the churches and we'll see where it goes from there. So without further ado, Tyler, how about you? Uh, how about you share a little bit about how the Lord saved you and um, how you became a pastor and what's kind of going on there? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me and, uh, and Sam, our beloved elder at RLBC. Uh, he's such a gift to us and I'm so thankful for him. Um, when I was at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, um, that's ultimately, I think, where I was saved. Um, I had grown up in the church my whole life. I was born into a Christian family. Um, it was an Arminian family. I was, you know, at church every Sunday, at youth group every Sunday night. Um, they wouldn't have called me a covenant child because we weren't Presbyterians. We weren't Reformed in that sense. Uh, um, but I was raised up in the faith. And, and so when I went off to college, after all that time, I kind of walked away from the faith for a while, but then I met um, a woman who is now my wife. Her name's Kara, and uh, we have four covenant children together, but I met her in the school of music, and we started dating, and it was a, a Valentine's Day dinner that we had made, and, and we were sitting in, in the dorm room and eating and talking, and, and she had been taking a religious studies class at Ball State that really just had her all jacked up, and, and um, so she asked me this one single question, and that was, what do you think about God? And ultimately, in that moment, something happened. I think I was probably regenerated in that moment. And there was just a fire lit ablaze in my heart. And the, the thing that I went toward was what I had known. And so I grabbed a Bible, and I just started devouring that Bible, reading it and learning. And from that moment on, the Lord just put a passion and desire in my heart to know his word, to know him through his word, and then ultimately to proclaim his word. And so I had been at Ball State and I finished my degrees. I did a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree in music performance. And during that time, uh, we, we ended up getting jobs at the church where she was. And that was a Methodist church which is funny, um, but we ended up doing youth work and leading as uh, members in the worship band. And so that was kind of our, our front door into ministry. And then really from that point, the Lord just kept bringing different people and different books and different things into my life. And so very long story short, uh, during that point, we were um, in a Methodist church and someone introduced me to John Piper and uh, he was the first man really that 
that through his work and preaching and writing changed my life and took me from Arminianism into Calvinism, the five points and that whole thing. And then from there, it was just um, really a slow grind into Reformed theology um, to where I am now. And that is a, a confessional Presbyterian, basically. And um, but so that was that church was our front door into ministry. And from there, I ended up getting a call to the church where I am now, which is actually the church where I was born and raised. And at that time, it was called Newcastle Church of Christ. And, um, and now, after a long, hard um, transition, we're Redemption Life Bible Church, and we're heading into a, um, a reform direction as a confessional Presbyterian church. So that's the the shortest version I can possibly give really of kind of my life story, conversion and, and all the way into ministry and, and all that. Great. And then Jonathan, how about you share? And then Sam, how about you after? So I, there's a lot of similarities between Tyler's um, life and my life. Um, I was also born into a Christian family, um, dispensational Armenian type home, although I don't think they would have ever believed that you could lose your salvation. But I never remember a time when I didn't trust in, in Christ. Um, I remember when I was four years old, my dad asked me, if I were to die today, where would I go? And I said, I would go to heaven. He says, well, how do you know? He says, because Jesus loves me and forgives me of my sins. I just, I knew that. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And I said, no. He says, we got to do that. Now, to a little four-year-old mind, I'm thinking Jesus shrinks down to a Lego-sized man and comes and lives inside my chest. Um, took me a while to unlearn that. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I never remember a time when I just didn't know God as my father. Christ is my savior. Um, I always loved reading the Bible. Um, that got me in trouble when I was in churches at times. As a fifth grader, I remember uh, hearing a sermon um, on uh, pre-trib rapture and such and coming home that afternoon and saying, Dad, you know, I've been reading the Bible for a number of years now, and I just don't understand how the pastor got this. Um, pointed him to some, my dad to some text. My dad says, you don't have to ask the pastor, son. Um, so that night... I went up to the pastor. I was really nervous. And I said, you know, uh, I don't understand, you know, the sermon this morning on where you were getting this, especially in view of, I think I was reading Matthew 24 or something like that. And he pats me on the head and says, young man, you're too little to understand. And, uh, and I got kind of upset at that because I was like, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> um, so uh, I grew up, I was homeschooled most of my life, um, and so I graduated early and went to the University of Wisconsin to major in um, trumpet performance, and after there, I went to Northland Baptist Bible College, where I majored in pastoral studies and biblical languages, um, while between my junior and senior year, I did an internship in Taiwan under a missionary, and then after I graduated, I went back and uh, filled his shoes while he came and got his um, master's degree and his MDiv through Bob Jones. Um, but while I was in school, 
in um, Bible college, took a class on the book of Romans and the teacher had us read through the book of Romans every week. Um, and that transformed my theology, uh, reading through the book of Romans. And I got really passionate and was like, man, this is, this will change everybody's life, you know? And so I started telling everybody about this, uh, what I've been learning and people kept saying, Jonathan, you sound like a Calvinist. I said, I don't know who that guy Calvin is, but he was probably reading the same book I was reading. <laughs> and uh, so um, I continued doing that. And then my between my junior and senior year, when I went to Taiwan, the missionary was not a very evangelistic missionary. He, he did some English teaching English classes and preached on the weekends. But other than that, he never really got out into the community. And... He, would, he was more like a monk in that way and said, you know, for hours a day, you're going to sit and you're going to read your Bible and study. Well, I brought my English Bible and my Greek and Hebrew Bible. That's all I had. And, but it was there that I, quote unquote, discovered how much the New Testament quotes the old. And I began to see connections. Um, of course, I knew that I wasn't, couldn't have been the first one. So I get back and started reading some books on it and be, once again began right away just hey let's have a bible study in my dorm room let's talk about some of these things and i and a group of guys got called up to the office and we were told that if we would not uh um you know we were going if we would not recant we we're going to be kicked out of school and we wouldn't we wouldn't do that stuff and so we were just about kicked out of school and then the former president, President Emeritus, I think he was called, uh, came in, talked with the guy, and they agreed that the junior, there was one junior in our group, he would have to be transferred out. But because the rest of us were seniors, we could continue on. And they did not make us recant or tell, say we couldn't discuss it, um, which was good. Um, so I graduated there, went back to Taiwan, um, and then through government, you know, China and Taiwan having a little tiff, they sent the missionaries home. So I came back and then was assistant pastor at Reformed Baptist Church for a while. Um, eventually, there was a pastor there who just stopped preaching the gospel. And so um, we had a deacon as well who became a Pado Baptist. And so I set out from scripture to prove him wrong. And in the process, became. Well, um, a Pado Baptist, although I would call it probably like Covenant Baptist um, uh, or Oiko Baptist, household baptism, um, through that process. So we, I, I said, I, you know, I, I really need to go back to seminary. I need to go to seminary. I didn't have been to seminary, just had an undergrad degree. So we did a seminary tour and we went to this church, um, First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. And they sang Psalm 121. Then uh, the pastor, Pastor Duncan, preached Psalm 121. And then we sang Psalm 121 again. My wife and I just tears flowing down our faces, just hearing the gospel afresh uh, after being in a church that didn't have the gospel preached was so refreshing. So we went back and there's, there were no reformed churches in our, in our area. Um, and so I mean, just trying to convince the pastor, please preach the gospel. And 
eventually he, um, it came to a head and he said, you know, if Jesus never talked about the death, burial, resurrection, forgiveness of sins um, through his sacrifice with the woman at the well, good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. So that was a straw that broke the camel's back. My wife and I said, we will travel to hither and yon to go to a church that preaches the gospel. And we did. We ended up traveling quite a ways north and heading, uh, and we joined a PCA church there that preached the gospel. <laughs> Amen. Um, so went to seminary uh, a year later, uh, came under care there at the church, went to seminary, and um, it was it was really good for us. Um, both my wife and I really grew there um, through the church there, as well as me being in seminary, working at the church, and graduated there. Came here. This church was a PCA church, but they um, were looking to. They wanted to be more reformed, and so I came and worked with the elders, and we we became what we are today. Um, or reformed still within the PCA though. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. And Sam, how about you? What's your story a little bit? Well, you've had me on here before. Yeah, so. well, give us yeah, give us a brief one. I, yeah. I mean, I pastored a, I went through Bible college, <clears throat> bachelor theology. I got a scholarship for Greek and I did my Hebrew uh, RTS Orlando. You mentioned Jackson, so um then uh, and, and finished up uh, my work with uh, Whitfield Seminary there in Lakeland, um, Dr. Talbot, and got my THM. Um, moved back to Indiana, family circumstances, moved back to Indiana uh, to help my sister and mom with my, with my dad. Um, met my uh, future wife, who's now my wife. Um, Kimmy, um, looking for churches in the in the area. This is a town, Newcastle's about, and I'm being very brief and short, uh, town of about 18,000, uh, 17,000, somewhere around there, and searching through, for, for various churches. Now, I was raised, I've been, uh, like both of you, um, in church all my life. Uh, I can't remember a time where I never was in church. I came out of the, the Foursquare Gospel. Um, tradition back in the 70s. I'm dating myself a little bit. And that uh, that group would frequent, you know, revival and tent meetings and that kind of stuff. And the charismatic movement kind of spawned um, in, at least in this town in the late 70s, early 80s. Very much a part of all of that. Um, and then you go to Bible college and you realize there's other views. And there's a guy named Calvin, which you never hear of prior other than just like bad stuff, but you never really hear much about, at least in the church circles I was in. So college, uh, living on campus for four years, that opened up, that opened up everything. And it was, it was uh, Lorraine Bettner's book, Reform Doctrine and Predestination, a friend of mine, still a brother uh, in Christ, Ryan Starmer, he handed me this book because the charismatic movement had reached the Presbyterians too. Because uh, <laughs> you didn't know, but you know, he was this guy was Presbyterian reform, but he's also spoken tongues and all this stuff. So 
gave me the book. I read it and I was, I can't remember really ever struggling with it. it uh, Bettner's book presented it in such a scriptural fashion that it just kind of clicked. It was like, yeah, that's, uh, how do you argue with that? Just because of the scripture. So it was an easy, it was an easy kind of a um, transition. And then reading about pedo, uh, pedo baptism, that wasn't really much of a struggle either. Um, as, as I hear with some of it that it is, and I know that it's a very divisive issue. But for me, it just made sense. It's like a family and children and household. It just kind of makes logical sense, you, unless I'm told to exclude, you know, specifically exclude. So that wasn't hard, that much of a problem. And then entering into the Reformed world, begin to see that there's a lot of, uh, there's Reformed worlds. There's a lot of Reformed worlds, amillennialism, postmillennialism. And uh, there's liberal PCUSA. I, I was ministering for uh, a while at a, a PCUSA church. Now, these rural churches that are out in the middle of nowhere in these small towns, these small farm towns and stuff, and they have a congregation maybe of 20 or 25 generations, you know, four or five generations have been there, very conservative. So I always thought PCUSA, well, they're ultra liberal, but this congregation wasn't. So I learned from that not to judge a congregation by its denomination. You don't know what's going on inside the building. Um, so I found a lot of people there that were concerned, you know, but they still had, you know, women elders and all of that kind of stuff. But I couldn't, I, what, I couldn't find any place else. And I didn't know Pastor Tyler even existed, but someone had read my book, Cameron Gray, and the conversation came to Tyler, who I didn't know was here, at a Church of Christ building, <laughs> and then you know we started talking and i thought this it was almost an immediate thing and i'll never forget that it was the second service uh we went uh to the service there and my wife leaned over uh, to me and and said i think we i think we found our, our place and that's when i knew i was like well okay and the more i talked with um with with tyler there was just a kindred kind of finishing each other's sentences kind of thing it was just like okay here that you know you know god what do you have you know is there anything here is this where you want me to be is and it just was right but he was in transition so it was kind of an interesting case study because i'm familiar with church of christ as he is and so i was i was shocked you know church of christ and i thought well uh well, how many people used to go to church here? He said, oh, what well, was 130 or, and now there's you know, like 45. I thought, well, what happened to all the people? He goes, well, they left. <laughs> said, well, that's the reformed message. Then. And what, what impressed me is that um, so many pastors, they get caught in this keeping the people that they compromise the message. And, and Pastor Tyler was just straight out preaching these uh, mess, and I thought, man, like like um, Jonathan was saying, you know, hearing the gospel in, in the in the midst of surrounding chaos and, and feel good and self help kind of stuff, and then you hear someone preaching the gospel, it's like ah, it was a breath of fresh air to me. And but it, it's not been easy. It certainly has not been uh, easy on, on on Pastor Tyler. It hasn't been easy. Um, and yeah, I guess you know, like you know, one of the talk about you know, church 
government and that kind of stuff. People think that that doesn't matter, but it does. When you lose members of the church for making a transition, you begin to see how, yeah, it does matter what you believe. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, coming from you, from Pastor Tyler and Pastor Jonathan, the experience is if you don't talk about these things, then everybody kind of gets along. But when you do start talking about them, that's that's when the sparks fly and, and it can create divisions. And it certainly has, you know, in our experience um, that these things are important, even with pedo baptism. I mean, Tyler, you've gotten some rift over that. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that that causes this is um, is the way we preach. And I mean, the yeah. the kind of thing that drives our preaching. And, you know, for for me, I, I'm big on systematic expositional preaching through books of the Bible. And so what that does is it forces us to address whatever's in the text. And it's it's always something um, each week, you know, and so it, it forces us to address elders and deacons and baptism. And, and if you're preaching through Acts, you know, how do you deal with these household baptisms and everything? And so ultimately, when I came uh, to the church where I am now, I was, I was called, I went through the whole, you know, process, the candidating sermons and all of that, and I got voted in. And, and I'm still a little shocked looking back that they hired me because when I interviewed, I told him, I was a Calvinist. And at that point, that meant five, the five points for me. I wasn't confessional. I didn't know a ton about the Westminster confession. Uh, what I had read of Calvin, I loved. And, but mainly I was a kind of Piperian Baptist, a, a Calvinistic Baptist. And I came in, I just started preaching through sections of scripture. And one of the first things I did was to preach through some chunks of the gospel of John. And when I was preaching through those sections of, of the scripture, I could not preach them in any other way than what I was doing. And it came off sounding very Calvinistic to people because it is. <laughs> and so basically that's where a big part of the change started happening. And really I, I've told Sam and, and others that really three, three things started happening. The first thing was that some people who were just really, stuck in their ways they wouldn't listen to some young punk like me they were they were out they were gone and they left and they let me know that they were leaving and why they were leaving that was the first thing and there was quite a few of those uh the second thing that happened was that people started to see this this doctrine and this truth in the scriptures as i was just slowly unpacking the scriptures and so they really kind of converted to it uh, the third thing that ha happened was that people from the outside started hearing that we were teaching things that were different than what they assumed we would be teaching because of our name. And so that started bringing in people from the outside who were not Church of Christ people. They were evangelical or even Calvinistic, or in Sam's case, thoroughly reformed, even confessional. And so that led in a few years ago to started talking about a, a name change because Newcastle Church of Christ, where we were not Church of Christ by any means, but Calvinistic and didn't believe in baptismal regeneration. We had instruments, you know, all these different kinds of things. We were basically forced to start thinking about changing our name because our name, Newcastle Church of Christ, was becoming a stumbling block. 
And so we ended up going through a year-long process, and we became Redemption Life Bible Church. But really from there, we've just kept going towards the, the reformed position. And so now, um, you know, we've, we've gone the, the Pado baptist route. My four kids were just baptized about a month ago by Sam. And so that was the first, the first household baptism, the first infant baptism in the history of the church since 1963. So it was a, a huge deal as far as the history of the church goes. And then I've been teaching through the Westminster Confession. And so, but all of this started with just preaching the scriptures as they came week after week. And it forced us to deal with all of these issues. And, and I think that's the key, you know, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this because it is shocking to them that a, a church of Christ can, can turn and become a reformed, almost Presbyterian church. And, and I've said the same thing to everybody. And, and that is my method was simply this slow and exegetical and that's it. Um, and, and that's how we've gotten to where we are. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that any other way, and this, this plane would have crashed. It would have crashed and blown up. And, uh, but by God's grace, he is sustaining us and, and I think taking us in a very healthy direction as a church. That's great. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, Jonathan or Sam, you guys have anything to hop in with? Uh, yeah, we're, I mean, we're currently at the place where when I came in, it was, you know, one elder, one deacon. And I and several uh, denominations, I guess, would you know, we started looking into how candidacy and all of that kind of stuff. Because right now we're we're existing as, as independent in in the in that technical sense. And so knowing that we need to you know have a structured government first, you know, our own local personal government first. And um, I wasn't thinking this at all when that meeting. Tyler, it's just one of those things when you approach them, you'd be interested, you know, an elder. And I thought, well, yeah, yeah, I had the desire, certainly. Um, and, you know, the technical, whatever, credentials or whatever. And there was a pat, there was, again, that that something that I believe is, is the spirit of the Lord that keeps you, you know, interested in there, that there's something, there's something here. Um so now structuring and just recently uh, my being appointed as, as an elder and then now looking at, because I, uh, Pastor Tyler and I both believe in not existing solely as independency, but coming under the auspices of a larger accountability. And all of that is about accountability. It's not, you know, prestige or name or any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's just being associated or acknowledging that larger kind of thing so that we're not just out here operating on our you know, on our own, even though we're confessional and all of these other things. I, I think it's nice to have that kind of a structure. The, the, the thing is, is what structure, you know, who, what denomination and, uh, you know, differences between OPC and PCA and um, Hector's RCA. I mean, there's all kinds of, <laughs> there's all kinds of, of different um, types of things. So that's, that's where we're at right now. The interest, the want to be included in a larger a setting is there is which setting and that's i think is just you know following the lord but yet you know principle too because there are there's, 
it's it, like I said the other day, you have like three doors in front of you and all of them are good. When you have that kind of decision-making where one is good, two is good and three is good. Which one do we, which one do we, you know, go through? Um, sometimes we're faced with choices where we have you know, three or four different ways we can go and they're all good. They're all biblical or scriptural or wisdom. It's, you know, it's just, you know, which one do I go through? That's kind of where we're, where we're at right now. If you could speak, if any of you could speak to, you know, to that kind of thing. I know there's other churches like that too. Um, but slow and exegetical, we're, we're not fast and trying to uh, do that type of thing. And Tyler has helped me and I, I've helped him. It's a very reciprocal um, kind of thing. So. so Tyler, when you, when you came into um, the church, um, there was exegetical preaching through the scriptures to change theology. Um, uh, and then there was baptism. You mentioned instruments. Did you add instruments or was that, was that there when you came? No, that was, that was there when I came. Okay. Um, and the church wasn't even really the, the church of Christ where I was born and raised and then came back to as pastor it was not affiliated with any, um, like the, the Church of Christ, the United Church of Christ, or anything like that. It was just an independent, they would call it an independent Acts 2 kind of church. So they didn't actually believe in baptismal regeneration, and they were not non-instrument, you know. Um, okay. So they weren't, they weren't a Church of Christ in the real technical sense, uh, really just kind of independent, non-denominational was what they would call it. Okay. So um, aside from teaching and then the baptism issue, uh, which I'm assuming they were more like Baptists as far as uh, baptism only professors, is there any other changes that you made to the, or that direction, church government you mentioned as well, I guess. So other than those three? Yeah, well, um, yeah, because when I came in, there was a, a leadership team. And so we've, we've really tried to move away from that to a plurality of elders. And at one point, we did have another elder. Um, but that it, it went south real quick, which was kind of a tragedy. It was a, it was a very painful time in our life. We, we had voted the guy in. And then he was caught up with one of his kids in volleyball. And he was missing tons of Sundays every year, like 16 Sundays every year as, a, as an elder. Um, and then he ended up quitting and leaving. And so we we're kind of back to point A again. It was, it was just a real painful time. And then Sam came along. And uh, so he's, you know, he's stepped up and is our elder now. And, and he's just a gift from God to us. Um, so that was one of the things is, is moving from that leadership team kind of board mentality to a plurality of presbyters. And then our, our liturgy, as far as our worship, has changed as well. I think that's a very important aspect. Uh, when I came in, it was very, it was very just kind of loose. There was no call to worship. There was no benediction. There was nothing really reformed about the worship at all. And so that's been one of the areas where we are, um, have made changes and are making changes. And so uh, one of the things that that I do, and, and Sam is involved in this as well, is that I will open the service with a an apostolic greeting. 
and and then we'll have our announcements and all of that stuff. And before we actually begin a song, there's a call to worship, usually from the Psalms or from Hebrews 12 or or something. And then we have uh, we have our typical liturgy, and then we end every service with a benediction and um, and going forth in the blessing and, and the grace and peace of, of Christ. And then the other thing we've changed is, is the way we do the Lord's Supper. And so basically, right now, I, I'm preaching usually on Sundays, and Sam is taking care of the Lord's Supper. And so that's become a little bit more liturgical. So there's more to it than, than when I was just doing it myself or when we had some other guys doing meditations and stuff. And so, so that has been a, a change as well in our liturgy. And then the preaching. So when I, when I came in, uh, th this will just kind of tell you the state of the preaching when I came to the church. My very first Sunday there, or my first day there was September 1, 2015. So um, almost six years ago, exactly. And I went to the church and I was going to start taking my books and everything and setting up my study. And the pastor who was there before me was actually in there and he was sitting in a chair. And I walked in and, and he asked me, you know, what really my mentality was regarding ministry and what my plans were. And, and I said, well, I'm going to study. I'm going to devote myself to the word of God and prayer and then to shepherding the people the best I know how. And, and the man had the audacity to tell me to not worry that much about studying and preparing and preaching because uh, the people just wanted somebody they could get to know and count on. And so when I came into this church with the mentality of John Piper and expositional preaching and proclaiming the gospel and, and all of that, I was coming into a place where the word of God, from my perspective, was not being proclaimed. There was no exegetical preaching, no exposition. I think it was just topical fluff. And so that was a huge change for the church, you know, to go from these 20 minute little sermonettes with maybe a Bible verse, maybe not to 45, 50 minute expositions of Hebrews. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's been a big transition, you know, but, but I think that the Lord is by his grace and by his spirit, he has, he has raised up a, a pretty amazing people at our church. It's it's not a big church by any means, but the people that he's brought and that he is raising up in our congregation, it, it is real, it's amazing um, to step back and kind of see what's going on. Yeah, in, in church growth, you, you know, you read all these church growth books and stuff. Um, but there, there was one uh, reference that talked about not numerical growth or or quantity growth, but quality growth. And, you know, that's, that really can describe what we're, uh, what the Lord, I, uh, you know, Christ builds his church, um, is just hungry people. And part of our, uh, what we immediately agreed on a lot was bringing, you know, bringing that seminary, bringing that to the pews. That's always been a, a thing on my heart for a, a couple of decades. Um, not so much in getting people to go to seminary, but bring the seminary to the to the pews, bring bring it into the church. Um, you're going to whittle away a, a lot of people that want the fluff and feel good messages and all of that kind of stuff. But the ones that stay, 
that, well, that's, you know, we always use Gideon as a, as a, as an example, you know, where God whittles away, shrinks him down and says, these are the, this is the one that's going to do it. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of an upside down way of approaching church growth, but that's the way we're approaching it. Just staying faithful to, to the text, but faithful to the word, faithful to our tradition and history. Um, and of course, uh, allowing that, uh, uh, a leeway of liberality and freedom within those bounds, of course, but but sticking to that and not watering that down, uh, because we might lose a couple of members and, and some big donors. You can't do that, um, and so many people do, um, and it's scary when you know. I know that it it is, but I believe that you know that's that's what we're committed to doing, and so the growth. There was another family that just started that heard about us, um, heard about Pastor Tyler and started coming. Remarkable family with a remarkable story. And if it's you know if it's a family every six months, fantastic. That that's that to me is growth. You know, growth can be defined in many in many ways. It's, it's are your are your members growing? Are they growing in the knowledge of the Lord? Are they growing? So that's church growth. Too. It's not just a you know, how big can we get. Um, you could get big if you want to. I mean, just market it and put it out there, market it, and sell your product. If you're in, if you're good at that kind of stuff, you can do it. But you know, uh, Pastor Tyler's passion is, is certainly is is the scriptures, the Word of God. It's you know, I I don't know what culture is saying, but what is this saying? And you know, what have others in the past have said about? said about this and, you know for me you just keep coming back to the uh, what the reformed are generally known for is you know that that educational uh, intellectual approach towards you know looking at the scriptures and you don't find that in a lot of other places at least that's been my experience it's a lot of feeling oriented kind of thing and i, I don't want to be long-winded but i'll give an example i i was doing um it was uh, last Wednesday, our, our Bible study. So we're getting real, I'm reading from Walter Brueggemann. We're talking about worship and, and moving into second, first, second century, late first century, second century church worship and the structures and, and what was going on there. And um, we were talking about the Psalms and the, that the Psalms are a, an aspect, you know, that, that worship and presentation to God from our reverence and thankfulness and everything that he's that he's done for us and our worship and, and praise to him and you know one person started you know kind of weeping because she started sharing about the grace of god and how and then another uh, shared and then it, i got goosebumps because of something i was reading out and i thought oh see i said that's that's what it and i, I stopped for a second and i said do you see what we're doing there's no theatrics, there's no fanfare, there's no glitter, there's no stage lights, there's there's no uh, hey how you doing? There's no slick messaging. We are we are having affections being stirred on the basis of truth. It's the truth that is stirring us, rather than trying to stir up the emotions so that I can you know you, you understand what I'm what I'm saying. It was a different thing. It's like doctrine is giving me the affections um of of you know these kinds of things rather than the other way around so many churches are just trying to manipulate your emotions 
to get you in that mood. And that's just, I, you know, the charismatic, I grew up with that stuff. Um, I'd rather hear truth. And as a result of hearing that truth of the gospel, as Pastor Jonathan said, hearing that gospel. And then, and then sometimes you weep when you hear it because that word of truth is like, well, I don't need any theatrics for that. I don't need showmanship. I don't need any of that stuff. I just need to hear the truth, <laughs> you know, and it might not be a thousand people, but I want to be around 30 or 40 or 50 people that are having that same kind of thing, because that's power. That right there is powerful stuff. And that's where I want to be. Amen. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'm going to jump in here real quick and yeah. just say that, uh, amen to all of that, you know, and, and, and I think part of the thing that, that really helped me or the person, I guess, who really helped me see that long ago was, uh, you know, back to John Piper and then his constant quoting of Jonathan Edwards and religious affections and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Because the problem with, with trying just to get people pumped up in their affections or in their emotions and a kind of charismatic whatever is that it, it comes and goes. It just, and it's just fluff and there's no stability. There's no rock. There's no anchor, but if it's, if it's the doctrine and if it's the truth of the scriptures applied by the spirit that, that is transforming us and changing us and, and causing our affections to stir, then, then that's something that, that is life transforming forever, because that is about real communion and real fellowship with the living God that is not fake, that is not man-made. And I think that's, that's why our focus is always first and foremost on the truth as the driving force and not on the emotional manipulation as the driving force, which lots of churches are very good at. If yeah. you find the right chords and you play the right chords at the right time, with the right, the, the right lights and the right fog, you can create a kind of, you know, atmosphere that gets people all worked up. But the problem is, is that that doesn't change people, not for the good anyways. Well, I wouldn't mind the fog machine, though. Oh. That would be, that'd be kind of cool to have a fog machine. Glory cloud? <laughs> I grew up with Star Wars and everything, so... <laughs> but coming out of you know charismatic background that i'm going in to the reformed um reading john macarthur's book when it came out of the charismatics he wrote this book back in 91 or 90 or somewhere around there um you know that that was probably the you know the biggest thing you get into you know you you hear this a lot. Uh, well, you know, Sam, you you know a lot about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? You know that kind of stuff, heart and head. I heard that a lot. Um, I'm I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. These are little Gnostic phrases that get thrown around that we, when you when you start peering in or tearing them apart a little bit, asking them, what do you mean by that? Then you find out they're religious too about what doctrinal statement they just said. I'm religious. Or I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. So we're all doing the same thing. Um, so then the question is, since we're all doing is all doing the same thing, is what propositions are you believing? What is it that you are believing? 
And that's that's where things change. And that again, that's where you whittle away a lot of people. Um, and and then but the ones that stay, the ones that want to hear, I was the one that stayed. I was well, let's go further into that. Um, you know, like Jonathan was sharing at a very early age, I was reading the Bible in pews. I like my picture by I wanted for Christmas. I wanted the big giant, which I have right here. Um, big giant coffee table Bible with the pictures. <laughs> That's what I wanted when I was uh, five. That's all I wanted. Because I like, you know, the, that to me was a reverence. And that's produced by the spirit. I think that's what, um, you know, what unites me with what's going on with the congregation, the congregation here. And then getting into, into church government. I know we're short on time. Uh, but the aspect of you know authority in the church—that's another one that's just pretty much, I would say, that in my experience of going to different churches, uh, authority of elders and/or pastor or the is—it's uh, either over here abused, uh, like cult-like, and I could think the most horrible, extreme, like Jim Jones kind of thing, or over here it's just non-existent. It just. If you don't like this church, go to another. So we're trying to bring a, that authority that we see in the scriptures, the authority of elders, the authority. Of, this was a true authority. And then into a culture that's almost anti-authority. That's not easy. Um, that isn't easy to do. Accountability and all of that kind of stuff. That's just not easy to do. Yeah, you know, I think this is my opinion after six years of ministry and, and some years of ministry before that as well. But I would say that most people in the pews, if you press them hard enough, I think we'd find out that most of them don't actually want a pastor at all. They don't want elders. They don't want anyone actually overseeing their life or shepherding them or calling them to repentance to their face or asking them questions about their personal life, but most of them just want a motivational speaker or someone who will say things from a pulpit and then leave them alone the rest of the week. Because honestly, the most trouble, the most trouble I think pastors have is the moment they start doing their job. The moment they start doing their job, the moment we start actually shepherding our sheep, and addressing issues in their life that we see or that we're hearing about, things come out, and it makes our lives and our jobs 10 times harder. And I think it's because of this anti-authoritative culture in which even, even people who proclaim to follow Christ and to love Christ and his church, they don't actually want anybody dealing with their lives, which is exactly what we as pastors are called to do. That been your experience, uh, Nate or Jonathan? I mean, have you, as as a pastor, we're just you know that's none of your business. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of similarities in reform, although there wasn't a change in denomination here, but there was not a reformed liturgy called worship benediction. They were EPB, uh, exclusive praise band. <laughs> um, you know, Hillsong uh, type songs. Um, there was, you know, Christmas time, there would be, you know, massive Christmas tree in the sanctuary. Um, 
So, but my method of implementing change, so I've been here just over four years and um, to what we are today, uh, it's been very fast change. Um, from the very beginning, I'd say most of our change that we've done has happened, happened in the first two and a half, three years. Um, it was very fast compared to what most people would think was uh, happening, but some of it was just providence uh, allowed us to go faster. But I first would teach the elders and try to convince them of whatever the subject matter was. Um, and then, then once that happened, then we would talk as a session, how do we then implement this change into the congregation through teaching, um, it talked one, I mean, you are going to a family's house and who you know is gonna have a problem with this and sit down and try to be winsome, persuasive. Um, in the end, you're right, there are people who will leave. The, the main reason people left Armour was you have too much Bible, um, too much Bible. Cause we, <laughs> we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, preach the Bible, we see the Bible in the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, we have, so now it is a reformed liturgy, includes not just a call to worship benediction, but we read a New Test Old Testament book with an explanation. Um, we read a New Testament book with, with explanation, and we have the sermon passage that is separate. So in the course of what will be four and a half years, we will have made it through half of half of the Bible. No, two thirds of the Bible, 44 of the 66 books um, by the end of this year, if the Lord wills. Um, through the reading and preaching, we added a Sunday night service, a Wednesday evening prayer, um, a Monday morning, early morning, 530 men's prayer. And we just recently added a early morning, Wednesday morning prayer in the north where we meet off site to guys um, who are going to work up in the north towns. I would say perhaps the biggest effect of change that is, if I was to nail to one single thing, it would be the strong push for family worship. Um, because all of a sudden my efforts are uh, increased by sixfold because now instead of just on the Lord's day reading the Bible, now the families are reading and singing the Bible in their homes the other six days of the week. Um, and now that we've been here a number of years, I probably would say I take any eight-year-old, so they four to eight, any eight-year-old in our congregation would know, would probably be better able to pass an English Bible exam that I took as a, when I was ordained as a Baptist minister. Um, I mean, they, and, and they can attest to that. These kids, you know, you ask who's the king of Bashan, they're going to tell you about Og, you know, they're going to tell you how big he was, you know, they'll tell you all seven names that Solomon was called, you know, <laughs> um, name all the, you know, minor prophets and, you know, the 10 plagues and 12 apostles and stuff like that. Um, have you ever, did you have any pushback on any or leave or somebody say, no, we're not doing that. No one left over the family worship. Um, they would leave over the, the regular Lord's Day worship 
too much Bible because that and we we um, exchanged our hymnals for Psalters. Um, so we sing the Psalms. I tell you that has that would be probably the second thing as far as English Bible understanding would been. They sing the Psalms. They these kids now have so many of the Psalms just memorized, and they in the Psalms are like a little Bible. Um, and so you learn all sorts of stuff through the Psalms. Um, our kids learn catechisms, um, and uh, then Westminster Confession of Faith, the high schoolers' apologetics, um, uh, Reformed apologetics, and worldview and systematic theology. Um, but I'd say family worship will be the primary. Singing Psalms was greatly enhance that um and but to implement it i would have said it, it was been teach the elders once you get them on board then discuss together how are we going to implement this teaching them uh working through whether it's a bible study um you know on a wednesday or men's bible study you know get we have a men's bible study as well and, and that helps implement change as well. Get the men in uh, leadership. We did a men's retreat recently and on how to lead in family worship. And it was part of that as well. Um, and honestly, then guys just over time, they, they get growing and, and they become leaders in their homes. Um, and they're, they're bringing the whole family with them. And so that has been huge in implementing so yeah it's amazing yeah yeah well, i mean yeah it's been phenomenal too like uh i know 7 30 so i don't want to push you guys too far over your limit i know tyler i know you gotta so i'll let you say what you had to say there or did, no i was just gonna say i okay. think that's that's amazing the change is amazing and and one of the things that you, you pointed out there that I, I appreciate and I, I think is a really wise thing, and that is focusing on the men and focusing on the men as the, the leaders and really the, the change makers. And I might get in trouble for saying this, not here, but, you know, some of the listeners. But I think one of the issues in the church today is that it is overly feminized and the church in general has become effeminate. And the focus has not been on men, uh, but it's been the opposite. And I think a lot of the good change, as far as the whole family change, is going to happen if we focus on the men and their leadership in the homes, and they're leading their families under their their shepherds, pastors, elders. So I, I really appreciated that. I thought it was very wise, very good. Yeah. Well, it's good to see that other, you know, we're not alone, too. Yep. Um, but you know, again, seven, seven out of the 10 churches visited and stuff was just, uh, you know, and I'm not saying anything in the ultimate judgment standing before the Lord or with this, that, and the other, but, you know, watching these polls about declines of the churches and you know, numbers are, and then 20, 20 somethings not attending as much as they were, say, uh, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, there's a reason for that. There's a, there's a, 
have to look for that reason. But but then again, you know, my stressing on numerical growth, you know, should that be a factor determining whether you're successful or not as a as a church and implementing those kinds of things and having and it sounds like you have the acceptance of that implementation to certainly present it and teach it. I think in my again at seminary, once I was taught something, if it made sense and I was like, well that make, that's biblical, you know, then you go along with it. Um, you know, like with you know Pato communion and other things. Uh male communion the home, you know, or Pato baptism, I'm sorry. That's a Freudian slip. I didn't say <laughs> um I don't endorse Pato communion. But um you know it's, it's teaching it and then not hopefully not encountering that resistance um, that, that Pastor Tyler did encounter early on a few, mm -hmm. several years ago, taking it, there was resistance there. It's just, we're not going to hear this and we're going to leave. Like, ah, okay. Wish you wouldn't. Um, so and particularly Indiana, we just don't have, a, there's not a strong reformed uh, presence, not even historically. Uh, there's not been a strong reformed presence in Indiana in particular. So it's a it's a fairly tough climate here yeah. to you know to grow like that. But uh, making the implementations that's that's the point. I think you get something where we're at now um, and the structures that are there in place now so that you know say three years from now all of those things are in place you don't have that kind of resistance going on now you're just growing numerically in, in that fashion families adding all that stuff staying faithful to what needs to be faithful sometimes like in our case that just starts off small you know it's just the way and that's good um our culture is not boy we're at odds <laughs> with almost everything i see on tv and the news and you know just everything out there is just at odds um, we, I guess we sound strange in a strange land to many ears. That makes sense. Sounds biblical, doesn't it? Yeah, it just <laughs> we sound strange to uh, strange foreigners in a foreign land. Yeah, not speaking their language. You talk about male singing and psalms and all, and people just like, what? You know. Yeah. But, and you I know, tell you, when we first started uh, when I first started here the elders were up on the platform and they noted that 11 people I think it was were moving their lips and um, now like the whole congregation sings and yeah it, it sounds so beautiful now that everyone just uh, sing because it's no longer an entertainment based now it's people get to sing <laughs> singing yeah. has been given back to the people it's been truly a liturgy, a work of the people. Yeah. That's wonderful. I don't have much to say. That's good. Um, yeah. You know, the Lord is building his church. Amen. You have to constantly keep that. Keep that and going. stay faithful, brothers. Stay faithful. Um, you know, the, the goal is, is not numbers. At the end right. of time, when you stand before the the king, he's not going to say, well, how many did you get? <laughs> you right. Know, it's, we, we hope to hear not, you know, well done, thou 
mega church pastor, but well done, thou good and faithful <laughs> servant. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. Amen. Well, I'm talking to family members here. See, I thought there yeah. might be some amen. sparks flying or something. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen. <clears throat> it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, from a layperson perspective, and that's all I am. Um, I've been challenged and, and equipped in ways that I've, I've never been equipped in any other church. Um, Armor has been such a blessing to me. And I'm sure your members are just as blessed to this being an environment where people, you know, it's not the elephant in the room to actually be like, Hey, you guys want to have a Bible study or something? They're like, Oh, I thought we we're going to go play uh, football or watch the bills game. Or, you know, it's like, no, like let's actually fellowship, not publish it, you know? And, yeah. pub a ship you know at the pub and uh surface shallow relationships or or you know i was just so hungry for people that wanted to be uh in the scriptures that wanted to pray to wanted to grow in holiness and godliness and to be with a, a bunch of really godly men that want that not just godly men but women and children i mean some of these kids man i, I wish you guys could hear some of the questions they asked pastor jonathan it's uh uh, what was that one uh, for a click uh, example, Jonathan? Um, it was, uh, oh. Connor? Uh, yeah, Connor about the baptism. So, the yeah, so he, so he said, you know, Pastor, how come it is that we get water on our head at baptism when it's really our hearts that need to be baptized? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's good. Thinking through. Yeah, yeah. He's like Just, eight years old. <laughs> posted pictures um at the congregation i mean we, we started a library um and you know the congregation if you can imagine a congregation getting excited about a library in, in books and yeah, stuff. Right. everyone's excited about this library so we started this library room and repainted and and a library and so it was talking about a library in a day when books are just almost obsolete you know, yeah. we over here are like, ah, oh, library. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> and that's just exciting. It's just it's like, man, that, you know, where have you people been all my life? This is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of contagion. And down with children. See, people don't think mm -hmm. uh, that loaded statement that Jesus says, let the children come unto me. That, that is a pact. Yeah. You know, our yeah. Lord, our Lord is saying that. No, let, let the, Children come to me. What are you crazy? Going to forbid them? You know they soak up well, all this stuff. Well, we'll shove them in a children's church and give them a woman pastor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brothers. I yeah. got to roll out of here. Yep, I do yeah. too. Thank you, Nate. Yeah. yeah God um, bless, guys. Until next time. Uh, this is Rudin Revelation Podcast. And uh, till <laughs> next time, we'll hope to get everybody back on and do some more dialogue. Until then, God bless everybody. Thank you.